Well, missed, uh, missed being with you last week as we were out of town, but it's glad to be back. I know Ryan took us the last two weeks through chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. We are in chapter 3. Um, Ecclesiastes doesn't get much easier. It keeps coming at us uh, and challenging us. But we're going to do chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, a famous, uh, famous verses of Scripture. If you would stand one final time as we read this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 to 15. This is God's very word to us as people. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear down and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toils This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. may be seated. Time. The preacher, Solomon, we've said, most likely. Uh, the preacher here uh, gives a sermon and he says, uh, there is a time for every matter under heaven. One philosopher said it this way, we cannot talk about our lives, ourselves, what we desire or fear or what surrounds us without reference to time. It's hard to talk about anything without some reference to time. Here, Solomon uses that word 28 times in these few verses. But our lives are full of time. We're on the clock. Think about time references. Often we run out of time. We have to make up time. We regret lost time. We fear wasting time. We try to make the most of time. Um, Older folks will tell young parents to cherish the time or maybe Adults, when their parents are aging, we say cherish the time. Kids, when they get bored, they uh, look to pass the time. Adults, when we're at work, it seems like time stands still, right? Or when I'm doing those, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, Plank things, you know, you do that and you're supposed to do it for a minute. It seems like seven minutes, the clock stops. Time stands still. We're short on time. There's never enough time. In sports, we keep time. Even us Alabama fans remember that it was one second in time 
we lost on the kick six, right? One second, time. We hear expressions like time is money, time is fleeting. Occasionally, some of us, <clears throat> some of us are ahead of time. We celebrate birthdays as time passes. We, older folks, look at college students and we think, you have all the time in the world. Some of us are thrilled. We have waited for this time. Some of you brides, right? We've waited for this time our whole lives. And some of us in regret. And we say, when will my time come? Or we get nostalgic. Maybe we remember a loved one. You say, do you you remember the time? Or we fear. We fear something's going to happen. And we say, I don't want the time to come. I don't want to say goodbye. Time, time, time. Time is ticking. We're on the clock. It's constant. We're bound to it. One author said, time is like a parent and we are its kids. It's always in our business. Time is like the sky. Wherever we look, we see it. The tyranny of time poses a problem for us. As Zach Eswine says, that humanity... Um, we, have, we still have Eden in our veins. Or as uh, Solomon says in verse 11, we have eternity in our hearts. We long for meaningful life unchained from the sun, unchained from time, to be able to sit in, to rest, to enjoy without the clock ticking time away. We were meant for eternity. Eden was not meant to end. We weren't bound to the clock And so in the garden, time was good, but now in the fall, time in the curse, it reveals our broken world, it reveals our own sinful hearts. Time is no longer our friend and companion, but instead now time stresses us, right? It haunts us. We set alarm clocks so we don't miss the time to get up. It reveals our shortcomings, it chains us, it binds us. Time. So what's the point? What's the preacher want us to know? What's this poem about? What does he want to teach us about time? The first and hopefully very obvious point is that time is out of our control. Time's out of our control. The seasons of life, they change, but not on our terms. They change on their own terms. They come, they go, not at our disposal. Some of you say, well, we're thankful for changes, right? We're hopeful here in Mobile that it will get cool eventually, right? It, it flirted for like two days, and then it went back to 80 degrees and humid. But we're thankful time. There's a, there's a beauty to the seasons and rotations and life. There's a goodness to that. It's God's care. It's God's freshness. He rejuvenates us, and yet it's disturbing at the same time because the seasons of life don't operate on our timeline. One commentator said, we dance, but we dance to a tune that's not our own choosing, right? We want to change the station, and we only got one song, and we don't like it sometimes. It's time. It's disturbing. We, don't have, little, we have little input when we weep or when we dance. Often we weep when we don't want to weep, or we never, we never weep when we want to weep, Right? Often we're caught off guard when we're time to laugh, time for joy. We're, we're worried about tomorrow or we're regretful about yesterday so we can't enjoy the moment, the joy, the pleasure, the goodness. 
We have. Um, we don't know when we'll die. The famous uh, French commander, the Battle of Salzbach in 1685, one of the, his men uh, recorded this just as he was shot by a cannonball, would die a few moments later. He says, I did not mean to be killed today. It wasn't in the plan. He didn't, he didn't schedule his death. And none of us do. We don't know the time. It's not in our hands. We're not in control. The problem is we think we are. We have a false illusion. Or we think if we do the certain things a certain way that the good guys, it works out for the good guys and it doesn't work out for the bad guys. So live this certain way and it'll go this way and the time will be just like we planned and we have our life marked out each season and stage. But time does not discriminate. It comes when we least expect it. We don't plan it. We can't control it. We try to manage time, but it's not in our hands. We don't tell the summer when to arrive. Right? We don't tell the winter when to, to leave. It's outside of our control. The text says there's a time for war. But who's ready for that? Who's, who's eager for war? But the time comes when it's necessary I mentioned laughter. We're caught off guard. We may miss the time. Some of us want to speak, but it's actually the time that we're to be silent. To be quiet. Sometimes we want to be silent. We don't want to get involved. We'd rather not deal with it, but it's the time to speak. We're not in control of the time. We really want something to work out, and we pray it works out. We pray God opens a door, and it's time to let go. To surrender. Think about it. Think about it in our own world. Think about it. I mean, we're, we're the most medically advanced community uh, the world has ever known, country. We've been paralyzed by a, a, a virus. We've been, we've been captured, frozen by something we can't see and we can't figure out. Who planned that for 2020? Time is out of our control. How many of you said, how many, how many of you would imagine you would be where you are right now 10 years ago? Who would have said, I'll be doing X, Y, and Z. My life is going to go like this. No, almost none of us would have imagined it. It's not in our control. What's the point? Time teaches us we are not in control. We're not the ruler. We're not the sovereign. We're not uh, over the ebb and flow of life. The seasons don't march to our commands. As soon as we begin to enjoy a sunset, it's gone, right? As soon as we enjoy the last bite of a meal, we, we have heartburn and indigestion. It's not in our control. We're not in control. It reveals, time reveals our limitations, our frailness. Let me ask you, have you embraced that? Have you embraced that you're not in control of your life? of your time. You, you, you plan it. Planning's good. Wisdom in that. You, you mark it out. You have a budget. You have things to do. But do you realize, do you know that the Lord, not you, is in control? Are we humbled by our limitations? The first, first point. What else does he want us to see about time? 
We, we could see this poem as pessimistic. Um, this and that, come and go. Uh, we could see it that way, but that's not the point. That's not the point of the preacher. He's not trying to be Debbie Downer here. He's trying to, to get us out of the illusion that we are in control. But he could have said a lot of things. He could have said some of the things I said at the beginning, that we're running out of time or wasting time or short on time. But instead, he chose to write the most famous poem on time to show the orderliness of creation by God. He chose to show God's purposes and plan in time. Because we don't know time, because we don't know seasons, doesn't mean someone doesn't know. It's the second point. We're not in control of time, but time is in God's hands. Um, kids, when you go on trips or vacation with parents, they don't know the agenda. They don't know the itinerary. They don't know the travel schedule. They don't know when the meals are coming. They don't know the... the the items each and every day, but that doesn't mean there's not someone that's in control. Hopefully mom and dad have some clue, some plan. And so too is the world. Solomon wants us to know that the, 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 the comfort's not in us knowing the time or us planning our life. The comfort is that God knows, that God's in control, that he holds the poem uses a literary device where it speaks of two polar opposites, right, born and die. And, and in doing the opposites, it, it speaks to the totality, the, the whole human experience is the goal. So a time to be born, a time to die, speaks of all of human existence, of life. Or a time to mourn and a time to laugh, speak of all of human emotions. What he's saying is that Everything, all of it, the totality of life, and everything is held, is known, is controlled by God. He reigns. We use the theological word. He is sovereign. It reminds us of the, the Abraham Kuyper famous quote. A Dutch reformer said, There is not a one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It all belongs to him. Or Philip Ryken says this, the initiation, the duration, the termination of our earthly existence are all under his divine authority. Now, most of us have not known that great of leadership. <laughs> we see power abused, right? We see rulers become dictators. We see tyrants, we see arrogance, uh, we see op oppression and suppression. But the point of Solomon, the point to speak of sovereignty, is not to say he's going to squish you under his thumb, but it's to give you comfort. It's to show God's sovereignty is a beautiful thing. Look at verse 10 and 11. Solomon says, it's so Solomon has traveled in time, he's seen ahead and he's come back, and he's reported, and he says this, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. The season, seasons aren't random. They aren't pointless. The diagnosis is not random. It's purposed. 
He is working his plan. If God was not sovereign, if he was not in control, then life truly would be meaningless. It truly would be random. It, could, it would be just parts and particles bumping into each other that created this world, and we would have literally no hope. We would be on the treadmill of life. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, again, again, spring, summer, fall, winter, over and over and over for those that know the Lord, though there are seasons that are incredibly difficult, incredibly painful, some unimaginable, there's comfort in knowing that God rules and reigns over all of history. He is sovereign over the seasons. He's sovereign over the times, both the disheartening and the delightful. He reigns. He will accomplish his purposes. Verse 1 says that for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. Under his hand. He's not asleep. He's not caught off guard. He's not off duty. He's not the, the, the off duty or the, the police officer, you know, outside the store who fell asleep and the world went off the hinges. He's not you oversleeping on your big day because the, the phone, your phone died. Or He's always there. And this is to bring peace and to bring comfort to us. He speaks further to the purpose of his sovereignty in verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That fear is not we're afraid like uh, something scary. Fear in the sense of reverence and awe. And yes, in some ways scary, but reverence and awe because he is the Lord. The fact that we don't control time, but he does overseas time is meant to arrest us and to say we are creatures and he is the creator. So we are to be in awe. We are not the center of the universe of the world. Teenagers, college students, let me tell you that. The world wants it to be about you, about your life, about your choice, about whatever you want. It's not your time, it's not your life, but He rules and reigns. And our response is to surrender and fear and honor of who He is. His timing is good. We have to step out of Ecclesiastes a little bit to see His timing Perfected. He gives this poem of time, but as we step in to the New Testament, we see that most clearly with Jesus. I had Kim read those passages. I'm going to hit a few of those in a second, but listen to the timeliness of God in Jesus. Galatians 4 says, In the fullness of time, or at the, just the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Why was it the right time? The Jewish world, Israel, right? The Jews, the religious people are now taken over by the Gentiles, by the pagan. In one space, in one small sliver of humanity, in one time, in one place, Jew, Gentile, godly, ungodly, come together. The Savior of the world will be born, the Redeemer of Jew and Gentile alike. Jesus begins this ministry in Mark, and he says, The time is fulfilled. All of history has been culminating to this time. The, the gospel is at hand. 
Repent and believe. The kingdom is here. The Savior of the world had come to fulfill. The scribes and Pharisees always tried to catch Jesus. They tried to arrest him for all the things he was saying. But the Scripture would say, the time was not yet. Or my time was not at hand, Jesus would say. And yet on the Passover meal, we'll, we'll celebrate it in a few moments. Jesus says, the time has come. The time is at hand. All of history, all of life, every day it's been created 24 hours, 365. This time is the time tomorrow that I will give up my spirit. And it came on the cross. It was the time when Jesus said, it is finished. And his time of death is there. And then yet we know three days later in time, there would be a resurrection. There would be a purpose. There would be a, a Christ would be risen from the dead for us. God's timing is perfect. Solomon doesn't know the full story when he writes this poem. Uh, under, obviously, we believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but we do know more. We have the New Testament. We have Jesus. And all the Old Testament is pointing us that he is the sovereign rule and reign, reigner, and it will come to be most clearly in Jesus. Time is in his hands. Can you trust him? Can you surrender and submit knowing that it's not in your control? We try. How many had their vacations rearranged this year, right? <laughs> how, many, uh, how many teachers plan to do uh, Zoom education, right? <laughs> can, we, can we acknowledge it's not our time? If we say yes, we, we can trust him. If we say yes, we, it's difficult, but we surrender to him. Then we have the potential to actually make the most of the time we have, Solomon's going to say. Let's look at what he says. Let's look at the application. The first one's what I've already said. He says very clearly to fear the Lord. We're not in control, but he is. So we're to fear him, we're to honor him, we're to surrender to him, we're to come and worship him. We're to acknowledge that he's, in, he's sovereign. He is in control. And that is a good, comforting thing. But he goes on. What else does his sovereignty teach us? Second application is that we are free to enjoy the time God has given to us. Verse 12 and 13 says this. I perceived. I love how he uses that word. He, I don't really know. I'm not the author of the world or time. But it, I perceive, it, it seems as though there's nothing better for them, it's man, for us, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Under God's hand in Jesus' redemptive work, though time is still a limitation for us, time is no longer our enemy. We have been allotted time. God has given us time that we might enjoy the life he has given us. So we quit trying to make time, our lives, our career, our purposes, our plans, something they can't be. We're humbled, we're small, we're creatures, and then we actually can enjoy the time he's given us. We enjoy the ordinary things. We eat and drink and we enjoy it. It is pleasurable. The basics. We enjoy taking a walk or reading a book, going to a movie, 
We enjoy coffee, right? Amen? We can enjoy the ordinary thing. Coffee's not ordinary. Coffee is extraordinary. We enjoy it. It's the goodness of God in its place. Relationships in their place. We enjoy it. Do you enjoy the time? Do you enjoy the things God has given you? But not just enjoying it, our, the good things, not just the play. We enjoy the work. Look at this weird phrase. And take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. God's gift to us is really hard work that we get to enjoy. Work was good in the beginning, and it was without pain and toil. Now work is with pain and toil, and yet in Jesus it gets redeemed and can actually be good again. It's created and descended in death, and now it's being resurrected that we can work hard and long hours, and yet we can enjoy it. It's the phrase and Paul uses in Ephesians 5 that we're called to redeem the time. Take something that could be against us, that could be a limitation, that could be a barrier, and is in many ways, and yet we get to redeem it. We use our time for the purposes of God, for the kingdom of God, for our work, for our pleasure, for our play, for our relationships, for the spreading of the kingdom of God. Time now has with it uh, a responsibility. Stephen Olford connects this. He says, Time is a fragment of eternity given by God to man as a solemn stewardship. All eternity, infinity, both directions, right? The, the, the open line, just forever. And the time is this sliver that he's given to you to steward, to take care of, to tend. It's a gift. Enjoy it. Don't squander it. Don't watch Netflix for 48 hours. Use it. Create. Do something good and glorious. Enjoy what God has given. Enjoy the time. It's not our time. It's His time. He owns it. We steward it. And we steward it for His glory. We steward it for His purposes. For His means. For His goodness. So we, we, we fear the Lord in this time. We enjoy the time he's given us in the final application for right now. Because of our limitation with time, we should long we should long for heaven. The preacher wants us to. It's an implication, I believe, of this whole book of Ecclesiastes, and I think it's here with reference to time, because time by itself is a limitation. God is outside of time and The limitation should remind us that we are not in Eden. When we have difficult times or difficult seasons, when we experience death or trials or troubles, we're reminded that this is not our home. That Eden has been ruptured. And when times are good, but then they end, and we think, well, I, I was just enjoying that season, and then it's gone. We long for heaven. It should make our hearts long.
for heaven, not long for heaven in the sense that we run away from it, that we try to escape, we try to disassociate from the world or isolate ourselves from the world. Um, but the limitation of time should make our hearts long for more, so much more that we begin to live now for later. We begin to demonstrate the kingdom. As we long for heaven, we bring the foretaste of heaven to bear now. It's a paradox. We're the first fruits of it. Um, so in difficult seasons, what does this mean? It means that um, because we know there's more, we, we weep with those who weep. When the season is right, we weep. We, we, don't, uh, we don't forget that we're made for more and just minimize it and bypass it. But we weep, and we weep with a friend. But, but then when good things happen and joy comes, we don't skim over it. We, we celebrate with those. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We say, this is good. This is what we're meant to do. This is where we're heading forever and ever and ever. Let's enjoy the moment right now because this is eternity for us. You see, we, we picture what's not and we point to what is. We can do that because time in Jesus becomes redeemed. If we don't have Jesus, if we don't do that, we don't long for heaven, we have to suck as much as we can out of time, but the clock is ticking. It's fourth quarter, and there's a minute left, and we don't have enough time to make it happen. But in Jesus, we know that our time is his. He has allotted it. He knows the boundaries. He knows the frame. So we live into it, surrendered, open, humble, here it is. You've given us this. May we make the most of it. But as we make the most of it, we realize it's not all that it will be. And so our hearts crave and long for full redemption and hope. Romans says that's what creation is doing. It's longing for full redemption. And that's what we do. And as we face the limitations of time, as I hear you medical residents tell me about working 100 hours or whatever that crazy number is, you should say, oh, that's not what it's supposed to be. It may be what it is in a broken world. It's not what we're made for. It can't be sustained. It's not meant to be. Because we're made for goodness and pleasure and joy. And so we long for them. We live longing for heaven because that's in Christ where we'll be. We will die. <laughs> not to be morbid, but we will all head that direction lest Christ returns. And so we long for that end, picturing and celebrating what will be even in this time, in this moment, and this evening. Church, uh, it's a beautiful poem. It's a great piece. I, I love that uh, non-Christian world, uh, you may take a literature class in college or poetry class, and they study this poem. Uh, and they, they love the, the ebb and flow and the rhythms but we, we know it speaks uh, to not just good poetry, but it speaks to God who's sovereign and rules and reigns. And for us in Christ, that goodness has come to bear in Jesus. And that means, instead of us being hopeless and helpless and on the treadmill of life, life can have purpose. Will we surrender our plans to God and will we live fully in today, in this time? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, time is in your hands. We want it to be in our hands. Uh, we try to keep it, but it's, uh, when we do that, it's like uh, vanity, vanity. It's like 
the, the hevel, the, the, the vapor that passes through. We can't contain it. We weren't meant to. It's not ours. It's yours. The whole earth is yours. It belongs to you. And yet in Jesus, that time has become something for us to use, to celebrate the goodness of life, the goodness of the seasons, the, the, the coolness of the air, the refreshment of the holidays. Lord, you've given us seasons and times. Lord, and yet we know there's brokenness in it. It's a time to kill. It's a time for war. It's a time for death. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves. We surrender our hearts to you. And we trust that you know the time. That you are in control of all. You're in control of of next Tuesday election. You have overseen kingdoms come and go for centuries. You know. And as your people, we surrender and we trust and we look to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.